Good morning. You didn't leave for spring break, I see. You stayed in town. Well, I'm glad you're here. Look at the person next to you and say, thanks for coming. Yeah. Because a lot of times folks leave on Friday and they're gone all weekend and they're gone next week, right? And then they might even be gone next weekend if they want to and then come back. But so we have quality today, right? Look at the person next to you and say, you are quality. See, you've already confirmed. Don't you feel better already? Now look, we're in this series, and we're in the fourth part of seven, and, and if you haven't been here and you've missed it, I'm going to give you a quick review, real quick at the beginning. Uh, for those of you who have been here, it's just a review, so you know, when you start to me, I know you got it, right? So we'll just go through this real quick. Um, God is Near is the title of our series, and it's a story that should have died in Nero's Rome, but it didn't. Peter is telling Mark, John Mark, about what happened, his experience with Jesus. Now, this has happened, you know, when he was in his 30s probably, and he's in his 50s now, maybe even in his 20s when it was going on. And so it's been like 30 years since this took place, and he's just telling him about his life, and he's dictating it to him. And Peter uh, is just sharing it, and Mark is just writing it down. He's not trying to write the Bible. He's just writing it down, but it does become the Gospel of Mark. And in the first chapter of Mark, it says, The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Now, this idea of repenting, we said, wasn't so negative. A lot of times people see that as a negative. And it's not always a negative. It's meant to, to be able to face something new, to embrace it, to move forward in a new way. You know, we're all creatures of habit, right? Any creatures of habit in here? Do you use your right hand or your left hand to raise your hand on that? Creatures of habit, right? <laughs> okay, if you start raising your feet, then I'll know, okay, that you're open to new things, right? But, but that's the point, is we're all creatures of habit. And so what happens is when God comes along and says, I want to do a new thing, sometimes we say, well, wait a minute. I just got this all set up the way I want it. Don't be changing it. I like it the way it is, and we all are like that. And then God says, I'm going to move you here. I'm going to take you there. We're going to do something different. And so that's kind of the way it is meant to be. Now, previously, Jesus had accused the religious leaders of being hypocrites. And last week, we talked about that. We said, now, why was he talking about that? Well, because they had come up with a loophole. They had said, okay, we can give all our money to the temple in advance. We can still use it but we're going to give it to the temple. But then if our parents come to us and they say we need help, it's expensive and it's time-consuming to help our parents, and we can say, well, I'd like to help you, but I've given it all to God, right? And so that's a loophole to get out of that. And Jesus was just furious with them because they were elevating their own traditions, their own customs, their own ideas above those of God. They were saying, well, we got a better idea. Let's do this loophole thing. Instead of just surrendering, what God wanted and the commands of God. And Jesus and his disciples go up to Caesarea Philippi, and they're up there, and then something extraordinary happens. This is a place where Jesus turns to his disciples, and he says, who do you say that I am? He's asking them what they know. And here's what happens. Uh, they say, well, some people think you're a prophet. Some people think you're John the Baptist reincarnated. And then Jesus turns and says, but who do you say that I am? Who do people say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you're the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he said, blessed are you, Peter, because this wasn't revealed to you by flesh and blood. In other words, people didn't tell you this, but my Father in heaven revealed it to you. 
And then Jesus says, you're exactly right. And they begin their journey from Caesarea Philippi through Judea to Jerusalem. And as they travel, he reminds them once again of what to expect when they reach Jerusalem. In Mark, the eighth chapter, it says this. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that they must be killed and after three days rise again. Now, this was confusing to them because they just announced that the kingdom is near, right? And so they're thinking of an earthly kingdom like the Roman government has, and so he's going to set up his kingdom, right? And now he's saying, no, that's not going to happen. I'm going to be killed. And they assumed that bad things didn't happen to good people. How can the Messiah be killed? He just got here. Wait a minute. I don't understand how this is supposed to work. And he spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. And basically, uh, Peter says, Jesus, you've got to knock it off with this negativity. You've got to stop um, talking so negative. You won't, these people won't follow you if you do that. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. So he's saying, you know, you've got to, to make me a priority. In other words, this is not my kingdom. This is not what I've come to do. And then Jesus said, then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Basically, he was saying, this isn't going to be fun anymore. We've been going out, and it's been wonderful. I've been performing miracles. I've taken a little bit of food and a little bit of to drink, and, and I've multiplied it and fed thousands of people. I've healed people. I've resurrected people. You know, I, I've cast demons out of people. And, and boy, what a blessing. And then just to sit and listen to him teach was wonderful. And so, you know, who wouldn't want to follow him, right? But now he's saying, it isn't going to be like a parade anymore. It's not going to be like a festival. Now it's going to be different. Now you're going to have to deal with things in a different way. And then he says, from here on out, you're going to suffer if you follow me. And this is disguised in an ominous declaration, but inside of that was an extraordinary invitation. And here's what he said. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and the gospel, the sake of the gospel, will save it. And this is a fancy way of saying that everybody dies. But let me ask you a question. Are you going to live your life just to please yourself? Or are you going to live for a higher purpose? Are you going to do something with your life that's going to make a difference? It's going to make a difference maybe in where some people spend eternity. Because that's what I want you to focus on. Everybody's got a life and everybody's going to die. But what are you going to do with your life? And here's the invitation. But whoever loses their life for me and the gospel will ultimately save it. And so he's saying, you know, you've got to put him first. You've got to put others first. You've got to put yourself last. And he's inviting them and us to live our lives and even lose our lives for a purpose. So Peter and the boys have a decision to make. Do we just fish our lives away or do we actually follow Jesus and do what he's calling us to do and live for a purpose? Will we be consumed with preserving our lives or spending our lives for him? Will we follow Jesus or not? See, it was easy when they were in Galilee. If you ever go to Israel, Galilee is a beautiful place. It's a lake. It's a freshwater lake. And that's where he spent most of his time. And so there are hills surrounding that. 
and that lake there, and, it, and you go out on the boat, and you ride. I'll never forget we went to eat dinner there, and, and they have um, fish, right? Because Peter was a fisherman, and you go to the restaurant, and so do you want fish? And, and so we ordered fish, and Laura says, what kind of fish is this? And the guy, <laughs> the guy looked at her, and he said, filet. And, and it was, you know. I don't know what kind of filet it was, but it was filet, all right? Well, well, that was a great place to be, a great place to live, a neat place to be there at the lake. But now they've got to go beyond that. And now they've got to make sure that they've got a story that's worth telling. Do you have a story that's worth telling? You know, your personal testimony is one of the most powerful things you can ever share because it happened to you, and it's personal. And it's something that God did in your life. And when you share it with other people, it really draws them in. And they listen to that. And so the scripture says in Mark 9, they left that place and they passed through Galilee. Now they're on the way to Judea and ultimately to Jerusalem. And so as they go that way, he takes the 12 aside and he tells them again what's going to happen to him. And he says this in Mark 10. Then as they were on their way to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way and the disciples were astonished while those who followed were afraid. And again, he took the 12 aside and he told them what was going to happen to him. We're going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be delivered over the chief to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and they will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him, and three days later he will rise again. And so it's so confusing to them, and they're trying to understand it, and it doesn't make sense. And then it goes on and says, right after that, that James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him and said, Teacher, they said, we want you to do whatever we ask. In other words, we got a special favor, and here's what we're asking. They say, he says, what do you want me to do for you? He's very patient with them. And they, they asked, well, they replied, let one of us sit on your right and the other on your left in your glory. Now, you talk about a poor listener. <clears throat> I took a class one time on listening, okay? And these guys are not paying attention. He's just said, okay, here's what's going to happen. They're going to beat me and crucify me and kill me, and then I'm going to rise again from the dead. And they go, okay, time out. Hold that thought. <laughs> right? Because we got something on our minds and we just can't wait to ask it, okay? Here's what we want to know. When you come into your glory, when you have all your power, is it possible that we could be in positions of authority? Because that's what we're focused on, okay, is us. It's all about us and we want to be in positions of authority. And yeah, you just feel like Jesus would have said to them, are you paying attention? Are you listening to what I'm telling you? Are you crazy? Have you lost your mind? But that's what they say. He smiles, and he, I'm sure, and he just says, you don't know what you're asking. Jesus said, can you drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? In other words, you, you don't know what's getting ready to happen to me, and you're not going to want to do what I've got to do. And then it goes on, and it says, when the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Really? Really? That's what you ask him? He just told you he's going to die? And all you can think about is yourself and what you... Hello? Are you paying attention? And Jesus called them together one more time before they got to Jerusalem. And then it says, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise 
authority over them. Now, here, what he's saying is this. You know, those in positions of authority leverage their authority for their own benefit. Have you ever seen that? Have you ever seen people get into a position of authority and, and it's just all about them and they just do what they can do and take what they can take and it's all about their authority and power and accomplishments? And then Jesus pauses and he looks at them and he says this phrase, not so with you. Look at the person next to you and say, not so with you. Not so with you is an aha moment. Not so with you it is a chance for Jesus to say, you're different. You're not like the world. You have to be like me. You don't have to think about yourself first. You have to think about yourself last. You've got to think about the kingdom and others first. You've got to serve and not just be served. And he didn't just talk about it. He came and he exhibited it. He, he, he showed us what it means to serve and not to be served by the life that he lived. Before he even died, he gave himself to it. Not so with you. This king has come to reverse the order of everything. There's a pecking order. You get to the top so you can be in charge so that you can set it all up for yourself. And there's countless examples of that. Instead, he says, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be a slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. What does that mean? What's he talking about? Give my life a ransom for many. Take up my cross. He's saying that I'm going to die so that other people can be forgiven. And they're still trying to grasp all this. So they make their way to the city of Jericho, and something happens now. It shifts gears. They go into another thing that's going on. As they come to Jericho, and Jesus and his disciples together with a large crowd leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting on the roadside begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. But many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And so then it says, it goes on and says, Jesus stopped and he said, call him. So they called the blind man, cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. And throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and he came to Jesus. Now I want to stop right there and I want to, I want to focus on this for a minute. What does this guy have? This guy's blind, right? So he can't see. And so he, what does he do? Well, he can't work. So he can't make money. So he can't provide for himself. So what does he do? He does the only option he has. He begs. So this guy's not really well off, is he? He's just trying to get enough money to eat. You know, I don't know where he lived, but, but every day that was his life. He just had to sit there and beg and hope that somebody would have mercy on him. And then he does something interesting. This, this phrase, throwing his cloak aside. I want you to look at that for a minute. I want you to think about it. What would that mean in your life if you threw your cloak aside? Well, I want you to imagine it this way. His cloak was one of the few things he had. It, it took care of him. It provided shelter for him. It was something to keep him out of the sun. It was something to keep him warm. It was security, right? And so he might as well just throw his car keys and his house keys and his bank 
you know, account and, and everything he's got, he's throwing his security to the wind. And he's saying, I want Jesus. I want Jesus. That's who I want. And, and nothing else is important. Now listen to me. We live in a world where we're pretty comfortable. We all are. We're pretty comfortable. We're blessed. God has blessed us richly. And so in our world, it's difficult then sometimes for us to remember just how dependent we are upon God and for us to just kind of put all that stuff to the side and make him a priority. Another way to say that is hold our possessions loosely in our hands. Because, you know, when I've moved around as a pastor, I get to a church, I set things up the way I think they ought to be. I get it all established and I've got a system and it's working. And then that's when they call you. When things are going well and your wife and your kids and you are all happy, that's when they call you and say, I've got an opportunity and I want you to move, right? And so you, you have to say, okay, Lord, that's what you want. And emotionally you're going, but spiritually you're going like that. Everybody in here has had those moments. You could stand up and give a testimony today about when there, a change happened and you didn't order it and it wasn't scheduled and it sure wasn't on the calendar and it wasn't your idea and it wasn't your plan, but it came. Now, what are you going to do with it? How are you going to deal with it? You know, I was thinking about that earlier in the first service and I was looking around at people and I knew they could talk about that. Their spouse died. They didn't plan for their spouse to die. And they had to make some big changes in their lives. And it, it, it all was just kind of an upheaval. And, and, and everything changed. And you just kind of have to go with that because he's calling you to something else. And that's, that's so powerful to me that this blind man just wanted Jesus. He's an example to us of what we could see and do and be if we can just kind of hold on to things loosely. And sometimes following Jesus requires stopping something to start something else. Every time I've moved, it's, it's God calling me not to get away. Let me tell you something. Whatever problems you've got right now, if you're going somewhere else, you're just going to a new set of problems. <laughs> you're still going to have problems. You can't get away from problems. It's life. And, and it's all about solutions, right? So if that's the case then I just want to be open, Lord, to where you want me to go and what you want me to do. And then he says this, what do you want me to do for you? I love that Jesus asked him. He's blind, but he, he, he just asked him, what do you want me to do for you? You know, a lot of times when I have people who ask me to pray, especially if I'm at the hospital or with a family, there's somebody about to die in their family, and, and they're there around the bedside, and they'll say, would you pray? And I'll say, sure. Now let me ask you a question. What do you want me to pray? A lot of times what they'll do is they'll go around and each one of them will say goodbye to the loved one and tell them it's okay. They're, they're unconscious. They're not coming back. They're not, they've been in terrible pain. They're, they're, you know, they're going to a better place. They're a Christian. And so they'll say, pray for God's mercy. Pray that God will be merciful and he'll just take him and, and he won't suffer and linger, but that he'll go. We're ready. We've told him goodbye. One time I did that, I was holding hands and it was a family around the bedside and the man literally, when I said amen, the machine went like that, really, no kidding. I mean, it hadn't always been that dramatic. One time I went to this house and this lady in our church, her father was there and he was elderly in his 90s and he was in a hospital bed and he, he was unconscious and he wasn't long for this world and she said, just pray 
that, that God will be gracious, that he'll be merciful, and he'll take my debt. He won't suffer anymore. And I did, and about two hours later, she called me. And she said, I want to thank you. Daddy died, and, and uh, he died peacefully, and I want to just thank you for coming over and praying for him. And then she had told me her husband, Walt, was sick when I was there, and, and I had said that I would pray for him. And so he sent a message to me through her, and she said, Walt said he didn't want you to pray for him. I wasn't going to pray that he died. I was just going to pray that he would get well, right? But she said, nope, nope, I'm good. That's okay. Thanks. But no thanks. I'm good, okay? Well, Jesus asked this question. It wasn't just for Barnabas. He asked the question for the people who were standing around. He wanted them to hear. He wanted them to see. What do you want me to do for you? And Barnabas, the blind man, said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you immediately. He received his sight, and he followed Jesus along the road. Okay, look, if you're blind, and Jesus heals you and gives you sight, wouldn't you follow him? He'd have your attention, wouldn't he? I, forget my cloak. I'm following this guy. I'll go wherever he wants to go. I'll do whatever he wants to do. And Jesus says, go, your faith has healed you. Now, that, that we're going to wrap that up right there. But before we go, I want us to live with this phrase for just a minute. Not so with you. Not so with you. You see, what would it look like for you in your world and in your home and in your work and community if you became a not-so-with-you leader? If you became a person who was an example of Jesus in such a way that you put him first, you put others first, and people saw Jesus in you. And he would lead you to leverage your power and your resources to benefit people with less power and less resources. To be a not-so-with-you leader begins with a simple question. And here's the question we all need to ask God. How can I help? How can I help? The Bible study experiencing God says that God is at work around you all of the time. If God is at work around you all of the time, what's he doing? And how can I help? That's the question we have to ask. And so then we leverage what we have for the benefit of him and others. And the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And so we say, you know, I want a purpose with my life. I don't want to just be on earth and be comfortable and, and just do things that are not going to last. I really want to have a legacy, and the legacy is one of service. And the legacy uh, is one of leading people to Jesus Christ. And the legacy is making a, a small difference in our little part of where other people spend eternity. That's worth doing. That's, that's worth living for. That's a purpose that you can get behind. And when you follow and you lead from that posture, then you are a leader who's saying, not so with you. Not so with you. You're different. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the challenge and the opportunity to be not so with you people, that we might be the people that you've asked us to be, not just for our sakes, but for the sake of others. We pray in your son's name.